You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Skylight's online reading series. Uh, my name is Eve Nuno. I'm a bookseller at Skylight Books in Los Feliz, and we're happy to virtually host the launch for H. Maltz's new book, There Are Trans People Here, uh, in conversation with Kemi Awabi. H. Malt is a poet, artist, and educator whose work celebrates trans people, history, and culture. They are the author of There Are Trans People Here and editor of Subject to Change, Trans Poetry and Conversation. H. Melt was an artist in residence at the Newberry Library, researching the Chicago protest collection. They've attended the Lambda Literary Writers Retreat and the Tin House Writers Workshop. Their latest book includes a study guide for trans youth, educators, and artists, available for free online through Haymarket Books. And Kemi Alabi is the author of Against Heaven, out uh, with Grey Wolf Press, selected by Claudia Rankin as the winner of the 2021 Academy of American Poets First Book Award. Um, their poems and essays appear in The Atlantic, Poetry, Boston Review, Catapult, Guernica, Them, The Breakbeat Poets Volume 2, Best New Poets 2019, and elsewhere. Selected by Chen Chen as winner of the 2020 Beacon Street Prize, Kemi has received the Pushcart Prize Best of the Net and Brittle Paper Award nom nominations, along with support from McDowell, Civitella, Ranieri, Tin House, and Pintor. Uh, thank you both for being here. I'm really excited for you to read poems and for the conversation. Um, so I am going to read a couple of poems first. Kemi's gonna read after, and then we will be in conversation about each other's books. I also chose poems that I thought resonated with the themes in, in Kemi's book, In Against Heaven. And I'm going to start with a prayer. This is prayer for my trans siblings. Praised are you who remember. Leela and Blake, Grayson and Mark, Laylene and Leslie. Praised are you who hold up the trans universe, who agitate and educate, migrate and radiate. Praised are you who shelter us in libraries and nursing homes, locker rooms and train cars, prison cells and hospital beds. Praised are you who clothe us in combat boots and leggings, button ups and chain mail, leather and pleather, faux fur and sequins, Praised are you who share our joy in naming and renaming, 
screaming and dreaming, injecting and rejecting. Praised are you who soothe us from the harms we inflict on ourselves and each other. Let us hope for a day when we no longer need to pray for our safety. Build it and we will sing together, rise together, sway and clap with parents and partners and friends as sun shines through stained glass windows. We sip wine and grape juice. We light candles. We send money in the Sedeka box to Palestine. We skip birthright. We cover ourselves as we wish. We let the Torah fall without punishment. We repair and repair and repair. You can't tell it's a uh, feeling spiritual. This is all the missing sweetness. Forgive me for crying and screaming in my bedroom, refusing to pile into the car, making us late for every high holiday service. Forgive me for stepping on my neighbor's toes as we found four seats in the synagogue together. Forgive me and I'll forgive you for forcing me into a skirt, not paying attention when I didn't break the fast, for eating apples raw without dipping them in honey first, which I now squeeze into my cup every morning, trying to recover all the missing sweetness from every passing year. This next poem is for my grandfather, Pahawi, who passed away uh, right before this book came out. And this poem is called On My Way to Liberation. I'm on the train wearing a pink shirt with a floral tie on the way to celebrate my grandfather's liberation from Dachau. When the Nazis came for his family in Kovno, Lithuania, my grandfather dressed like a girl to stay close to his mother and sisters. When he immigrated to the United States, he changed his name from Mickelson to Melton. I've changed my name and my clothes too on my way to liberation. Um, this next poem has gotten a lot of pushback online from people 
and maybe I'll talk a little bit about why later. Uh, this poem is called, I Don't Want a Trans President. I want trans doctors performing my surgery, trans journalists reporting the news, trans historians writing textbooks. I don't want trans capitalists walking on Wall Street or trans cops patrolling my neighborhood. I want trans musicians playing on my stereo, trans designers crafting my clothes, trans chefs filling my stomach, trans farmers planting my food, and trans gardeners picking flowers for my funeral. All right, two more poems for y'all. This is On Trans Street. On Trans Street, everyone knows your chosen name. On Trans Street, there are bungalows, courtyard buildings, and rent control. On Trans Street, there are bike lanes, abundant wheelchair ramps, and prompt snow removal. On Trans Street, there is free STI and HIV testing. Doctors prescribe hormones and perform abortions without a fight. On Trans Street, there is a school where trans history is taught by trans teachers. On Trans Street, there is a mural of Miss Major at Stonewall. On Trans Street, Juliana Huxtable is the resident DJ. On Trans Street, no turfs are allowed. On Trans Street, no catcalling is allowed. On Trans Street, there are no prisons, no checkpoints, no police stations, no military bases, no detention centers. On Trans Street, the cemetery is always full of visitors. On Trans Street, we are never alone. All right, I'm gonna end with a super fun poem that I love. That's called Take Me to the Trans Spa. Take me to the trans spa where I can get my nails done with my mom without toxic chemicals. Let me change in the locker room soak in the jacuzzi tub, cool down in the pool with a strawberry daiquiri. Let me sweat in the sauna 
and in the back room where glory holes are filled with fingers. Let there be deep tissue massages, drag bingo on Mondays, clothing swaps on Tuesdays. Let there be a hair salon, sliding scale electrolysis, and lavender shampoo. Let there be eyeliner tutorials, tips on beard trimming, and preventing hair loss. Let there be in abundance of ferns, aloe plants for soothing scars, and a weeping willow outside our doors. Let us be beautiful on our own terms. Thank you. Thank you so much for those poems. Um, there are trans people here is such a powerful book and such a, a call to action, I think for poets, or at least I received it as a call to action to center joy. And um, in my first collection, there were ways that I tried to center joy, but there were some things that I had to name first. Um, my hope is the poems that can come after will be able to center joy more um, with a more rigorous commitment now that some of this naming has happened. But for this reading to um, try to match H. Melt's commitment to centering joy, I picked a few poems that I think are stretching toward that intention in Against Heaven. And uh, though it might not seem like it, the first poem to me qualifies. I want to start with um, a eulogy. And I'm starting with this eulogy because in There Are Trans People Here, um, there is a them, there's an us and there's a them. And the them is very clearly from the first poem cast as um, the villains, the liars, the troublemakers, um, not the us. And so this is a eulogy, but it's for them. This is eulogy for the voice in my head. He died as he lived, tongue in my mouth, whipping me from the inside out. Kill yourself. Then we were in the kitchen, rinsing the knives. Kill yourself then on our knees, picking wet pills off tile. Then strangers clawed us from the train track, but slippery sleep. Then out for three days, on a plane, on a panel, explaining the political good of black joy, digging his fingernails into our thigh for mispronouncing hierarchical, for not connecting Jesus dot to master dot, for my unslit throat sham offering, he died as he lived, as real as imagined. Raw flesh hammered to plain wood posts, spoiling in the sun while I sucked the splinters from my palm. Sure, I killed a child of God as the others dropped their plagues and played, forgiving me. How to fornicate. One. After killing your dad, 
Pop box the gun smoke. Cough out any vestigial prayer. Remember that spooky shit old boy hissed, mid-smite, bullet plowed, curling away. It's true. You belong to the fire now. Two. Lose your Bible. Book of napkins to fold so the hungry busy their hands. Stop circling garden gates for scraps when a harvest splits your hips. Three. Your booty a whole altar call. Sickle-pitched hallelujah, blessed queers are born screaming. Become the most honest song they will ever sing. Or the worst, or both, or never mind. Four. When street preacher rebukes your thighs, TV after school specials your mouth, Adam tweets, fuck that nappy headed rib splint, snake primes the bite you die inside, say, my own, my own, my own, my own. Five, choir everything. Tenor the roses, alto the mulch, mezzo the flies, base your bed. Mountain they go tell on. Six. Disenchant the talismans of gods you love and leave. Spit flesh back to wafer. Left swipe eyes you caught and kept. Feed them to the cross pyre, blood rewarming. Seven. Remember Genesis. The worlds and little deaths you build with just your breath and hands. Silhouettes that singe the walls with new maps to salvation. Till even the floorboards buck and cry, Jesus. Even the windows blush and say, Amen. I'm glad you caught the reference. The next poem, I read this poem um, in South Carolina last week because I've been thinking a lot about queer and trans youth who are being legislated against being made into a large issue, a fundraiser for people who don't know them or care about them. And um, we all know you can't legislate away we've been here now is going to be here but I can make childhoods really really difficult and really confusing and so I read this poem because it is uh, um, uh, about my my youth um, it's called dendrochronology of this want and dendrochronology is how one um, measures the age of a tree by counting its rings so this is dendrochronology of this want. Count the pimple genitalia of sex ed fame multiplied by every high school in Wisconsin. Add the ninth graders cast as pus to be instead of storm's eye, empty bellied, ravenous. Count the days my mother wondered where her clitoris was multiplied by the year she stopped asking. Add the Sundays pastor named Eve Blight multiplied by the auntie's amens. And the deacon eyes needled through my stockings. 
and the weeks a body starves down to one closed fist multiplied by the dances too black for corsage, just black enough for 808 bone grind. White boy palm lines burned into hips, ring aged like tree crowns sawed from trunk. Count every gender I refused for this branding. Measure the spectrum of unkissed. Calculate the surface area of skin turned to dust, my coat for 20 winters. Holes in every pocket, I'd learned to beg. How many crumbs on the road to you? Measure the sine wave of this gasp, distance between trough and peak. Angle between eyes centered and rolled, the shiver's velocity. Each second the body was lost, magnified to the 10th power of the body returned and returned and returned. My last poem. We would hex the president, but... We would hex the president, but our bloom game is too strong. Altar stays red candle cinnamon lit, sweet flipper cracking into cramps, stays portal door warmed ajar, spell flung darkward. Wood, but we so black we lightless, no mirrors. So touch sound food, our cedar smoke, drum kicks the body back to gospel, drum sticks the body smacked in mouthfuls, the room perfumes with our funk bright wild wood, but our skin yams. Plush mothers cackling, juice dripping, and this just our first slow branch ascending. Wood, but neighbors to dine and I'm stranger. Root bind into kin. A nation of Miss Alpha wolf carcass to climb through. Wood hex their new head. That never man, rot reeking soil. But who'd feed these seeds? That wet orange howl, just compost slime returning, returning. The sky glows red candle, air soots and sludges darkward. Still, our funk bright wild, black by black, our tangling, tangling. We would hex the damned born dead, but billions still alive, cord and alive, threshed concave and still sweet flickers. Would, but who needs these feasts? I think. H. Mo does a great job, and there are trans people here, of focusing on the we, the we who needs the feasts. So I want to talk a little bit about that we with you. What's up? Hey. Hey. Long time no see. Let's talk. I have a million questions for you. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I think I have to because I sure. just said that. I have a million questions for you. Um, so like I mentioned, I love this book's commitment to trans joy. I am thinking about Miriam Kaba, who you cited in the afterward, and I'm thinking about how she says hope is a discipline. I think about the saying, what you pay attention to grows. And um, even when I think about um, 
uh, Roske's Book of Delights and how he approached that poem, like this commitment to paying attention to a particular thing over and over and what that looks like in your writing practice. So um, my question for you is about what your commitment to trans joy was like during your writing practice. What were some of the first poems you wrote for this project? Um, did you find yourself increasingly tuned in to trans joy over time? Did you have to resist writing about pain or is that something you just allowed to emerge? I wanna know about what that commitment actually looked like in practice as you were creating this book. Yeah, um, like I say in the afterward, it was an incredible challenge. And I, this was the first time I really went into writing a book with some sort of idea for, what I wanted the book to convey, which was I wanted to imagine more radical and liberatory trans futures. And I wanted to imagine a world and places for trans people to be able to gather publicly, to celebrate each other, to um, help take care of each other and heal each other and also just show examples of all of those things in my everyday real life. Um, I think that in writing the poems, they helped me realize, they helped me identify moments of trans joy in my life and they made me realize just how much trans care and love and community that I have really been blessed with. Um, and it definitely was incredibly difficult to get to that place. It is definitely not where I started the book. Mm -hmm. I would say that I feel like most of the more joyous poems like dysphoria is not my name for example um really came at the end so like a poem like trans care which lists a bunch of amazing ways that people in my community cared for me um that was also one of the later poems mm. yeah so like a lot of a lot of the poems that I feel are most joyous, they absolutely were not my entry point into, um, into this work. And I think this being my second book, um, you know, I really felt like in my previous writing, I did definitely and I think this is just a reflection of my life also, is that in my previous writing, there was, it was easier for me to both see and recognize and write about the painful moments. Um, like it, it took so much more effort for me to, yeah, just, just write about joy and find joy in my life. And like, I think that it has been uh, intentional practice. And I just had 
yeah, I've had many years of, of cultivating that joy and getting to a place where, where I can really recognize it. Um, yeah, I'm like at a point where I have been out as trans for over a decade. And I would really only say that like <laughs> in the past couple of years, have I like been stable enough and uh, been like surrounded with and treated by like amazing like local queer healers and practitioners um, and just like found community, especially through poetry and through writing. Um, so I, I definitely have been like, it's taken a long time, um, but I'm glad that the joy came through in this book. Um, and I don't think that it's necessarily separate from grief and mourning and, um, struggle and violence and I didn't want to like just show joy in a vacuum because that's not how it it functions absolutely I this leads me to another question I want to ask you but I don't know if you want to volley for equity's sake <laughs> what you want to do yeah I mean we can just we can just go I do have a question though on this on the subject for you around, you know, I think so much of your book about, uh, so much of your book against heaven feels like it is searching for and reaching for a kind of joy and like, a lot of the poems feel reflective of being in a place where like, you know, you're beginning to reject and like break down and um, yeah, just like come out of a lot of the like limited ideas that like, right, like, attempted to keep to keep folks down um and i think that i'm wondering i hear so much joy and also grief and like so many of the metaphors in this book um i'm thinking of fire for example and like thinking about both the sinfulness and like the connotations of hell and like debauchery while also thinking about like the warmth of fire and like burning down right these like oppressive institutions and um being able to like gather around the fire and having that sort of like necessary rage while also like burning bright as hell um so i yeah i see like 
I see the balance um, of these things in your work, but I'm, I'm wondering if you could just talk about like, talk about all of the ways that you use these metaphors that could, that both like relate to joy and grief to like pain and suffering um, and also like finding community and pleasure and reclaiming. Thank you for all that you noticed in the collection. Um, I, at first when I gathered these poems, this isn't the book that I wanted to write. I wanted to be able to first ground in a radical imagination and have an offering of these liberated futures. <laughs> I, 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 I wanted those to be the poems. Those are not the poems that I could write. I had to write these first. Um, and that was a struggle. I even there, I had this one very kind of toxically positive <laughs> lover at one point who even, who's an artist who even dared to call some of my poems bad spells, right? Like how can you write about these feelings um, or these, um, uh, or these, hardships or these, uh, or oppression in this way, um, these are bad spells as though uh, it is me foreclosing possibilities for freedom by naming um, all that we experience or, um, and so, but for a while I was trying to stay committed to the otherwise, worried that staying in some of the grief um, staying in some of the confusion and what could be called darkness. Though I hope also I'm doing some work in the book of subverting the idea of what is dark and what is black. Um, it was really important for me to eventually move forward with these poems because um, even from a standpoint of um, like an organizing standpoint of meeting people where they are a lot of people are there. <laughs> a lot of people can't see, like, uh, um, can't come into the liberated future we're building because there is too much unnamed pain that is living inside, um, too many internalized ideas that are and making things too sticky. And so the tourmaline epigraph of when we say abolish police, we also mean the cop in your head and in your heart is really critical for me because uh, the hope is that the book is kind of charting a journey of abolishing that cop in one's head and one's heart, um, which is an underworld journey. Um, uh, and uh, by the end, the hope is that um, uh, can move toward the next phase together. Um, and so the, um, even when I was sorting the manuscript, I had poems sorted in terms of these elements as metaphor, I had fire, I had water, I had air, <laughs> earth. I tagged the poems in this way, realizing how um, much that language came in. Um, and uh, both for the religious connotations of it, and then also when I think about um, just the elements of the natural world and how much of the collection is about a return to a healed estrangement, um, which includes um, a, 
the healing the estrangement between, uh, you know, within oneself and between the self and others, between the self and the natural world. And so all of the, so the four elements really kept coming into play as metaphors, both kind of, uh, and then um, uh, the both the potency of those elements and then the other connotations of those elements from a religious context, like, you know, the hellfire, that is one of the first <laughs> images in the collection, but that's also um, kind of a site of power and energy. You know, you think about um, uh, fire, like in the wand suit in tarot, for example, that is uh, in the staff suit, that is uh, kind of the creative spark, that is the energetic spark. It is uh, the, the driver, the force. And so, um, yeah, I was hoping that the collection that I had, even though it wasn't the um, kind of uh, radical imagination text <laughs> that I um, wanted to uh, um, debut with, could still be useful in that way for all that it could name and, um, hopefully pivoting folks uh, in between the wound and the portal throughout the collection, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, I think that there is so much actual beauty and power in the underworld and in the underground and just so much like joy and resistance that I feel like is embodied by Ursula, like inspired by divine. Um, and even like thinking about divine's name, literally being divine. Um, yeah, I, I think there's so much like queer power and energy in taking so many of these things that we are taught to believe are supposed to be negative or ugly or unnatural or unhealthy or you know sinful um about our existence and actually embracing those things um and i think you do there is a lot of imagination in this book there is a lot of imagination in against heaven um, and I, you, you mentioned the other night, like all the different multiple meanings of against heaven. And I think it is just the perfect title for this collection. And, um, I'm wondering if you can, you can just share some of the many just examples, and I can share some too of my interpretations of what against heaven means. But like, I imagine you like literally leaning up against heaven, and just like lying next to it, but like not wanting to or not needing to right? like, be given access to this really white, pure, like, Christian space, right? Like, I think that there's like so much disruption of these ideals and like these Christian ideals and this idea of like goodness. And um, I, I really love that about this book. 
I, I love this question and I love that you're also going to answer it. So that's, that's cool. Uh, the first thing in seven I wrote was during the uprisings in 2020. Um, and it was really grappling with the words of Tourmaline, which is, have come from other abolitionist thinkers, the idea of this internalized cop. And uh, I was also um, working with a lot of reproductive justice organizers and just really being confronted with all the ways Christian hegemony has built up our the architecture of this country and uh, is kind of the underlying um, structure uh, of conservative thought. Uh, I was doing narrative strategy work and thinking about abolition and thinking about reproductive justice and thinking about trans liberation and thinking about how um, these ideas of good, bad, <laughs> good and evil, um, that people are irredeemable, that folks belong in prisons, um, that uh, uh, innocence is real. <laughs> uh, these ideas are so supported by Christian hegemony, by um, this idea of heaven and hell the literal ideas of heaven and hell um, uh, and uh, salvation. And uh, and then also when I was thinking about then work for climate justice, this idea that, uh, you know, we'll abandon the earth and there will be an elsewhere uh, really uh, uh, estranging us from the natural world, estranging us from our home of the earth in a big way. So the first concept of against heaven was really anti it's like this is dangerous <laughs> it's a dangerous concept um and it's it's hurting my people and it's hurting the earth and then um the idea of heaven being right here uh and being up against it uh uh in a very uh pleasure oriented sense this idea of um uh the exactly uh and the uh, in the chat, uh, you put like Saba's lyrics. And so for the, the five title poems, uh, aside from the very first one that I wrote, I'm using mostly lyrics, there's one new story, but it felt important to engage with the ways that heaven already exists in our shared imagination, right? There's so much cultural content talking about heaven in all these different ways. And so I started engaging with the idea of against heaven uh, using this different content. So Saba's lyrics paired with Nick Hakim's lyrics, both with the idea that heaven's right here, heaven all around us, though Saba is, um, you know, his lyrics are from like an after death context. Um, uh, it, that's a really brilliant song. Stop is a really brilliant lyricist. So everyone should listen to There's Heaven All Around Me. But, um, you know, so from from there, I, I needed to get angry at Christian hegemony and all the ways that it's uh, fucked up. Uh, uh, Black folks, both here and on the continent, I think about the missionaries who came to my dad's village in Nigeria when he was young and showed them a John Wayne movie and then sold them more girl cigarettes. And, you know, so there's just so many ways <laughs> that Christianity has fucked up my people. And so I needed an angry poem about the ways that, um, uh, especially in the white imagination, uh, some of the horrors of this world and um, what uh, and the anti-Blackness that's been imposed has uh, been uh, 
circumvented by this idea of heaven being then the perfect world to go to for your obedience. And so I needed a poem that's like, fuck obedience, we're gonna start a riot. <laughs> Because fuck your heaven. Um, and then I have a love poem <laughs> about yeah. heaven, about heaven. So yeah, I was just saying I, I needed the anger, I needed the anti, and I needed the up against, and that happened in a lot of different ways. Um, were you just theorizing that this like Christian vision of heaven, aka of white supremacy, is anti-black? Like it seems like especially thinking about missionaries um, and thinking about missionaries just relationship to colonialism like that's those are my feelings yes <laughs> yeah, like not only like not only spiritual destruction right and not only cultural destruction but also like you were talking about the destruction of the environment and the destruction of, and like stealing of land and um, heaven, this idea of heaven as like clouds feels like such an emptiness and feels just like, why the hell would you want to <laughs> live a life? Like, it's so funny because Jews don't believe in the afterlife, <laughs> like, um, but still, like these ideas of heaven and hell are so ingrained in, um, right? Like, I feel like I even know more about Christianity <laughs> than I do about like Jewish um, folklore and traditions and beliefs, just because of how inundated um it has been like just my entire life um you can't escape it it's a, a part of the cultural architecture of this country regardless of whether or not you practice or believe and thinking about even the ways that the construction of whiteness the construction of blackness these poles of good and evil and how that exists in our cultural imagination that also i mean these binaries of heaven and hell black and white they so support this power structure here um and and elsewhere um these concepts don't just exist here but i was really um i started drafting me against heavens thinking about uh the anti uh, uh thinking about abolition and the the journey toward abolition and the difficulties we will encounter in the the collective mind when it comes to guilt and innocence because of uh how deeply the idea of a heaven hell guilt innocence are are entrenched in our in some people's core belief systems yeah, can we talk more about abolition? Yeah, yeah. I love, um, uh, I'm trying to bring the exact stanzas out, um, but I love the ways that um, in the I, in these worlds that you're trying to build, um, all types of policing are gone. Gender policing and uh, the state's policing and surveillance, uh, these very seamless connections that you're making between uh, trans liberation and the end of our criminal punishment system. So uh, yeah, the poem I'm thinking about specifically is on Trans Street uh, where 
uh, on Trans Street, there are no prisons, no checkpoints, no police stations, no military bases, no detention centers. And that's just as uh, important to trans liberation as there being, um, uh, as no curse, <laughs> you know? So uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. How do you want to dig into abolition? Yeah, so it feels like, <laughs> it feels like Christianity is the fucking police. Like, <laughs> it's surveilling you for your whole life. Yeah, even more so than that, it feels like this sort of right wing evangelicism um, is just deeply invested in, yes, these like carceral logics that you're talking about of good and bad, heaven and hell. Um, and I think for me, <clears throat> So much of so much of transness is about limitlessness and um, just freedom and like existing outside of institutional structures and challenging right the state's idea of what it means to be a human being and who deserves uh, humanity um, and. I think for me, there just really is no trans liberation without abolition, um, without like the gatekeeping of um, the medical world around what trans people are allowed access to in terms of having control over their own bodies. And I think that transness is so dangerous because it like is an embrace of right like autonomy over your own being and that runs so much in opposition to christianity and so much in opposition to right different forms of surveillance and control um and doing writing the poems in these book in this book and um you know just studying a lot of the work of trans abolitionists like i feel like you know dean spade and tourmaline and all these folks the book captive genders right miss major who is like feels like the trans abolitionist grandmother. Um, I feel like so many of the most important trans people in history were abolitionists. And um, I think that the way in which the state even is trying to like make trans people or has tried to force trans people to be respectable to fit into right these like absolute categories of man or woman and not allowing for right like other notions of gender and sexuality and spirituality and like cultural and communal roles um it's like about control and um <laughs> like 
to me, I guess I feel like so much about trans care and like feeling trans joy for me has been about taking back some of that control over, um, like over my name, over my body, over like, uh, you know, where I live and, um, who I consider family and all these different things, what I wear, what I look like, um, you know, like who my therapist is and like who my doctors are and what like hospitals I go to. Like, it's just, um, I think that, yeah, just taking more, more control and like letting go of so many of the moments of my life where people were trying to restrict me from any sort of change or any sort of transformation um right like those were some of the like worst moments of my life when people were like seeking to keep information about trans futures and trans possibilities and queerness and like queer knowledge and educators. Um, I just, I have learned and felt so grateful to like be able to see these incredible histories of trans resistance and um, to know that there is a long lineage of trans people fighting for abolition and seeing that as core to really just like everything that that they do. Um, yeah. Yes to all of that. Um, I really appreciate in your afterward talking about your encounter with gender euphoria as a concept and how um, like liberating that felt to be able to um, uh, construct uh, a self and a future around the idea of euphoria. And to me, that feels really connected to the bodily autonomy that you're describing, what it is to move into a type of euphoria and pleasure around who you are and realizing that, oh, this surpasses the boundary that was given to me and those boundaries exist for a reason to uphold power relationships in patriarchy you know patriarchy, like it needs the gender binary in order for these power relationships to function and trans folks become targets for defying the power relationship of the gender binary and uh and then are policed back into these gender roles so that um uh that power relationship can continue to function i think it's and then of course materially marginalized in so many different ways and policed um in, in so many different ways and so the relationship between abolition and trans liberation is clear from the trans ancestors, from uh, daily life. But I, I really think about bodily autonomy being at the heart of so many uh, struggles for liberation. And especially when I was working kind of at the intersection of trans liberation and reproductive justice, um, bodily autonomy being so 
core to um, what patriarchy would not would not grant, um, because to um, for folks to have bodily autonomy would mean that that power over relationship, that control relationship, don't exist. And then how can how can the power structure maintain itself? Uh, and so I. Um, you described it as, you know, euphoria in your book. And, and I think about uh, the epigraph that I begin with of Audre Lorde's, uh, uh, from Audre Lorde's uses of the erotic. And though the, the through Against Heaven, it's a, a sexual erotic in some places. I think about the expansive definition of the erotic that Audrey offers, which is about what it means to actually understand what feels good. It's yeah. more like a euphoria to me, like understanding what, and, and once you understand what that is, nothing else. You, you cannot tolerate anything else. Anything else is unacceptable. Any system that interrupts that euphoria must go. Um, to me, that's my read of uses of the erotic. It's not um, this uh, special concept. It's about um, uh, defending a euphoria once you can locate it, but locating it being essential. And so when I end Against Heaven with the first against heaven that I wrote, which was really inspired by the uprisings and for abolition. It's hopefully kind of charting a journey to understanding what euphoria and pleasure actually feels like. And then once there's a realization that there's this power structure that's constantly interrupting that pleasure and will constantly do that and then lie to you about what's happening, there's no choice but to but to cleave. The last line is we cleave and it's to me, a call to action. And one of the reasons I feel an affinity with your collection is because I think you end with a really clear call to action. Um, the riots must continue. Um, uh, and I wanted to sneak in a question about the way that you ended your collection, because I, I do feel a kinship with it. You have um, the last section is these three poems, and two of them you read tonight. Uh, it's kind of a return to the sacred, um, uh, almost like a callback of that first poem about sweetness, which is, you know, kind of the opposite experience of like a liberatory spirituality, um, a childhood in a, a temple and coercive gender expectations. And then you kind of then bookend the collection with a, a more liberated spirituality and communion with your people with a, with a prayer but the real and well the final poem is then this call to action so i guess i wanted to just from a sorry to move us from abolition to then like the craft standpoint of your book but um <laughs> as i i was curious about that decision to end in that way um if it felt uh, i don't want to project any intentions onto it um but because my book was so much about um identifying uh, the real roots of one's, uh, or a real connection to uh, uh, the the otherwise, the divine otherwise, in order to fuck shit up and take the state down. I, I wanted to understand if uh, you felt similarly about the end of your collection. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, it the collection ends with, all these protest poems and then um, these like going back into desiring a world where trans people are 
seen as sacred and worthy of protecting and care. Um, I think for me, the riots must continue feels like one of the more complicated poems in the book. Um, you talk a lot about portals in your book and my original first question for you was about what sort of portals writing against heaven made you go through. Um, <laughs> um, and so for me, I think the a lot of the portals that I was trying to employ and use in the book were not just going forwards, but actually going backwards. <laughs> um, so like going back into history. Um, so in this poem, I'm talking about like my familial lineage of um, like relationships to Philadelphia and um, several generations of my family having connections to Philadelphia and living right by the site of um, the Dewey's Diner protest, literally down the street, mm -hmm. which was a pre-Stonewall sit-in, riot, revolt, um, spurred a lot of queer organizing in Philly at that time. Um, and I think for me, like part of, I wanted to bring the book full circle by imagining my family relationships differently. Mm -hmm. And by imagining like, what if I, what if I did like, <laughs> what if my grandparents, my great grandparents were like at that diner, like, would they have been supportive if I had been living in that time? Would I have been, you know, at the diner? Um, and I think like so much of so much of the book to me is about like the healing nature of community co coming together and resisting. Um, whether through protest or through taking control over our bodies or through like gathering in public spaces. Um, and I think that like, you know, I think about Gwendolyn Brooks's, you know, riot chapbook mm -hmm. and how amazing it is. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't, I don't see, I don't really see an end to, right, like, the rioting that is necessary. Um, and I think, in fact, that we're not rioting enough. Um, and... You know, I mentioned responses to the I don't want a trans president poem, and I have no idea why or how, but it has gone viral on Twitter and Instagram with like tens of thousands of people interacting with it. And um, the pained look on your face. <laughs> 
I would love to hear more about the reaction. Yeah, and people's, what has been really funny to me is like there have been a lot of really amazing reactions of trans people and folks just relating to the poem. But of course, with something like circulating that widely, there have also been like people being like, I want to be a trans cop. And people being like, I'm a trans person in the military. And, you know, I am fighting for my country and deserve to, like, be out. Um, and there's a lot of that bullshit. And uh, it's been so interesting to... To just like honestly see people responding to this like little short poem that I didn't even think was that good um, and having such like such strong reactions to it that they're like calling me a bad poet like saying that you know, the poem is bad and like, you know, immoral and all this stuff. And like a lot of this coming from other trans people too. And um, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me and it's uh, hilarious to me. And I think part of what I'm arguing for in this book is like a continued trans resistance to assimilation and like a rejection of trans normativity and trans power and like just this desire to write like replicate all of the systems um and power relations that have made it difficult and almost impossible for many trans people to live um, like seeing fucking Caitlyn Jenner, right? Like be a correspondent for Fox News, um, and right? Fox like Fox News is lowercase in your collection also. <laughs> it is, there is Fox News in my collection. And like, it's funny because I had to, my editor, Maya Marshall, uh, bless Maya's heart. Maya is like, very into grammar and in a very matter of fact like just as an editor right like doing her job um and i do not know a lot of grammatical rules or employ them and one thing is that she said is she really got me to explain my capitalization choices and because i think previously i had really not capitalized so many things like i just did not capitalize a lot and did not use a lot of punctuation even when it was supposed to be there and um you know she made me really go back into the text and like create my own theory of capitalization and what i ended up doing was like capitalizing not proper nouns right like in the traditional um way of using <laughs> grammar and capitalization but um i decided to capitalize the proper nouns the people the places and the things that are important to me and that felt liberatory 
Um, and, you know, like that is a very common thing that a lot of poets do. Um, and I think that is our job. Part of our job as poets is to like also reject the right like rules of grammar that don't serve us. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that's just a little bit about that poem and um, a little bit about the reactions to it. I am wondering, I have this question for you around who would be in your choir? <laughs> who is in your choir? And I know you made a playlist, but what does your choir sound like? Huh. My first answer, just um, like my honest first response, I'm thinking about the waves, I'm thinking about the wind, I'm thinking about leaves rustling on the trees. I really want to call in the rest of the, the natural world. Yes, and I can add my playlist to the, to the chat. Um, knowing that uh, I was having a conversation with a, a, another poet who really focuses on kind of Black queer ego poetics. And I said that I think that queer Black folks have a much greater kinship with the earth than with white patriarchy. Right, like um, and that the earth would make a much better comrade in transforming this uh, these systems um, than uh, you know um, reaching across whatever aisle, right? Um, and so, just wanting to name uh, that I think the entire natural world wants to rebalance and be in a liberatory place. Um, there is so much queerness in <laughs> the natural world. We've imposed cis heteropatriarchal ideas on um, the rest of life, but you know, the earth is so queer. Um, so, uh, so yes my choir, all of the earth. <laughs> it's really most of life, right? Because I think most people want to move into places of greater interdependence, um, greater autonomy. Um, want, and are, I, I, I truly believe that folks are um, uh, um, the, the superstructures that uh, end up designing a lot of life for the humans on earth then um, overly determine uh, what these what individuals are doing but I, I truly believe that there is a desire to live and be loved and be uh, interdependent with folks and uh, if folks find themselves feeling connected and interdependent within some religious superstructure that tells them to like fuck everybody else, then you know, <laughs> that's what they'll do. Um, not to say that I'm trying to be in a choir with folks who are actively hating me. That's not that's not my mission. But um I I just never want to um, be too narrow about who the we is because I think that the we is far more expansive and unknowable than we can even, uh, yeah, we cannot imagine how how big that we is. And I don't want to, and even as you were, you know, you're describing these trans cops and, and <laughs> aspiring trans politicians, right? You know, like, so I can't even be like, yeah, no, it's all my queer trans, because, you know, like, <laughs> we're not all on the same page um and so it's like who would like to be um on the side of life with me that is my choir and to tie this back to your first poem 
I I think your first poem is doing some incredible <laughs> pronoun work. Um, because I there's you're creating from the very beginning. This is in the poem, there are trans people here, like like a we <laughs> and a they. Um, like we are real and complicated. They won't stop murdering, they won't stop legislating. And then there's this you. There's this you that comes into play. And I was curious about who the you is, which feels connected to your question of like who. I don't know, uh, your, your we here maybe is connected to the question you asked me about who's in your choir, because it feels like the you is an invitation to choose. Like, are you with us or are you with them? It doesn't matter, like, are you a like young trans person coming to this text? Are you some like old cis evangelical, whoever the fuck, which would you like to be with us or would you like to be with them? And the we that you name here seems to be the we on the side of life and then a they that's like obsessed <laughs> with murdering and imprisoning and legislating right and so i i was curious if you had an intentional you in that first poem if you were imagining a reader and a you that you were trying to call in or if it is as expansive as i'm describing my choir to be yeah I think poetry has taught me so much about who the we is. And um, for me, like the first people that I came out to collectively was not, you know, like a group of all trans people. The first place that I felt most like collectively valued and heard and listened to and like, cared for as a trans person was like in poetry workshop, um, in communal poetry workshop spaces, specifically in Chicago, in um, youth poetry workshops. Um, yeah, and I think that for, for me, this the you in this poem, so we are on the bus next to you, in the cubicle next to you, in the checkout line next to you. I think the you there is the people who potentially could write like, who are a part of my world and maybe don't know that there is like a trans person right next to them <laughs> in the bathroom stall or at work or, um, you know, like on the bus or wherever, just living our everyday lives and the potential of people in these everyday spaces, these like very regular spaces, these daily spaces, um, right? Like they, have a choice to make. Are they going to support me? Are they going to pay me less money than my less qualified coworkers? Um, are they going to like prevent me from, you know, like, are they going to misgender me? Are they going to, uh, you know, isolate me as like the only trans person in this space, right? Or, or are they going to show me love and care and support even in this like incredibly transphobic world? Like, are they going to eat lunch with me or are they gonna like let me 
be isolated. Um, and I think that this comes up too in this poem I have called Eau de Turfs mm -hmm. <laughs> that's in the book that I feel complicated about the ending because it is like the ending of that poem where I have this very sarcastic um, Ode to Turfs <laughs> is we are living in a new world you can join us or become extinct. And that ending feels very much like an invitation to me. Um, I don't, I definitely don't feel like I am that inviting to people in my real life um, as I am at the end of that poem. But um, I think that like, right, there are so many daily constant attacks on trans people and ways that we destroy ourselves also um that like why would you not fucking show love and support to someone who is simply like trying to get free you know like <laughs> um that like, why would you make that choice not to believe someone, right? When they share with you who they are. Um, and we see like so many people in these positions of power often choosing, right? To deny trans existence and to deny the fact of like trans children and um, to deny the fact of like trans literature um it's just like so insidious and um the you for me like is saying i don't want i don't and i don't want to live in a trans utopia and i do not and do not want to live in like a trans separatist state like i want the people around me from strangers to coworkers to family members to friends to like simply support my existence. And that is a choice that they have to make. And that is like work that they have to do. Um, and I don't think it's too much to ask of people, right, to respect and support and um care for the beauty of trans life and existence with that snapping i agree wholeheartedly with those snaps um there's such a care ethic in this book and i know we're over time but i'm just gonna keep talking until we're interrupted i think <laughs> um it's so, um, there's so many specific, um, it seems like archived examples of the care received. And I wanted to talk, uh, I just wanted to ask you, and this can be my final question too, um, because uh, it's even one of your poems in Trans Museum, it ends with um, the archive is open to the public ensuring we will never disappear. And it feels like this book from the very like personal archives of uh, uh, 
the friends in your life and the care offered um, back and forth to the names of uh, activists, organizers, um, uh, to the bookstore about Giovanni's room, to all the orgs listed in um, the most dangerous Jew in Germany, the footnotes, the afterword, the study guide. It's like, okay, this is the archive. This is your contribution to the archive, um, and and like a, a um, the care ethic itself being a contribution to the archive. Like this is how we made a we for one another. And so my question: um, How intentional was that function when you began writing these poems? Did you want? Were you intentionally bringing in these people, these places, these resources? Um, uh, uh, as to uh, for the archive and uh, if so what felt essential to highlight and why because it does seem all organized around care mm. yeah i think i've been really drawn to trans people who have under extremely difficult time periods and conditions and laws and <laughs> nonsense like who have created their own networks of support um, and who have like risen up collectively to throw fucking pennies at the police and fight them and, um, you know, like shut down these really awful businesses who like <laughs> didn't want to even fucking feed us um so i think like i don't think that i went into it with that i think that's more what that's like what i was searching for and i think that's what i've been searching for for a long time is just trans care from like trans ancestors, examples of trans care, examples of trans care in my everyday life. Um, and I strongly believe that like a huge part of my work is just reminding trans people that I care about them and that like, I care about you and I love you. And I am like here to I want to support you in finding the things that you need. And um, I am like here in community with you. And like, it's just like so wild the ways in which even trans strangers have like deeply shown care, um, right? Like the person who uh, referred me to like my surgeon for hysterectomy was just a trans person in community here in Chicago who like you know we were just DMing and like I don't think we had ever met in person and like now since then I have seen them in person but like the way the extent to which like trans people go to provide like resource and comfort and love and support for one another is deeply inspiring to me and i want to make sure that like that is the actual work that i'm doing like yes poetry is important but like 
what is the poetry doing? And that's like a huge part of why I wanted to have this study guide um, and like why I wanted to pull lessons for teachers that they could use in their classrooms that like teaching artists could use that like trans youth reading the book or anyone reading the book could do themselves. Like there's like, you know, exercises encouraging people to like interview their family members or their elders or their ancestors, like encouraging them to go into an archive or go into a museum to create their own flag or monument or artifact, right? For something that's important to them. Um, and like, I just want, people to understand we are building our own archives constantly like that is just what life is whether or not it's like preserved in like a temperature controlled dark room whatever the fuck like that is not what's important what's important is that we learn from each other that we support each other that we um show up for each other and that we share information and resources and history um and connect with each other like it's important that we build community and to me that is what the way i think in which i have learned to do that in practice has largely been through poetry and has largely been through sharing my poems teaching my poems publishing sharing other poets work right like editing an anthology uh, and I think that, like, that to me is, like, my purpose, I feel like, through all of the work that I do, whether it's a poem or not, um, is just to support trans people. Like, I want trans people to live. <laughs> like, that is my core goal. I want trans people to live. And I want like trans people to live the lives that like I want trans people to be able to imagine futures for themselves for ourselves and that is not something that I was able to do until very recently um and when you don't have a future you don't you can't feel joy like mm -hmm. to me those two things are so connected um, and I think part of, part of my sort of recognizing trans joy in my life did come from connecting with elders in person, finding, you know, poetry and artwork mm -hmm. by trans people that I related to like going to events and organizing events with other trans folks. Um, and that just like really is why I'm here to just like encourage our flourishing and joy and lives and just showing like this refrain of there are trans people here is like, Yes, I want trans people to literally fucking be here. <laughs> and 
we are and we have been and we will be and it's just this constant reminder of presence because it can feel so lonely and um <laughs> depressing to be a trans person um in the world and uh i wanted to show that that is like not all that trans people can be that like we also live joyous lives and are loved and cared for by other people trans and not um and that is that is what makes us human i wish you had a mic to drop you do though <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but just to tack on, that's why I think the you in your first poem is so expansive because I read it as an invitation to the isolated, to someone who feels estranged from community. Um, uh, hey, we out here, we're right here. We're on this bus, <laughs> right? Um, and that invitation being so powerful to come be a we because there are trans people here, come on over. So I love this collection and I'm grateful for its invitations and its challenges to me as a poet and a cultural strategist. How do we bring the work into the world for the ultimate goal of wanting our people to live? That's what we're trying to do. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. That was, that was that was really beautiful. Um, yeah, do you have any final comments, final remarks before we go? Y'all know what it is. Get oh, yeah. yeah, buy the book. The green button down there, there are trans people here. Here. <laughs> Make sure start against heaven. And against heaven. <laughs> and there's that requested playlist in the chat. Oh, perfect. Also, once we leave, uh, this will be rewatchable. So you can share the link wherever yes, you are for people to watch this talk. And uh, the comments remain in the, uh, the, the message section. So anyone can check out the playlist and other links as well. Uh, so thank you both Kemi and H and have a nice rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. <laughs>